We're so glad you're here to listen to this week's sermon from Park Street Church. Park Street is a historic congregation located in the heart of Boston. But more than that, we're a community of people from all different backgrounds who believe and are united by the good news that Jesus is Lord. Visit us at parkstreet.org to learn about our community. When someone transgresses or sins against you, it, it sticks, and it's really hard to get it off. It's family conflict, divorce, backstabbing at work, even the struggle to forgive yourself when you've hurt someone else. Or there's deep wounds from trauma, such from war or rape or murder which can swallow you up in unforgiveness. Everett Worthington was a Christian and a psychologist, and he had just published his first book on forgiveness. It was regarding forgiveness within marriage. And then on New Year's Day, his brother called him saying, something's happened to mama. Just a few months before this call, he was on a talk radio show being interviewed about his book. Uh, the interviewer said to him at the very end, we have time for one more call. It's someone very, very uh, important. And then Everett heard the slow, uh, slow, soft, East Tennessee voice of his mother. I can't do it very well, I'm sure, but Sonny, I've been listening to you, and I wanted you to know you're a good boy, Sonny. Sonny, he was 49 years old. Well, on New Year's Eve, two burglars came into his mother's home. She was living by herself, and she uh, was ruthlessly murdered. She was 76 years old. Everett couldn't sleep all night. Surges of anger pulsated through his body, and he had this constant thought that all he wanted to do was to find those two and beat their brains in with a bat. How can I possibly ever forgive this? Well, how do you move from unforgiveness to forgiveness? Last Sunday, we, we talked about vertical forgiveness, that is the forgiveness of sins between us and God. Uh, today, I'd like to reflect on horizontal forgiveness. That is, how do we forgive one another? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It might come as a surprise, as it did to me as I was studying this topic, but this is the very first time in the Bible, in redemptive history, in which we have a human being offering forgiveness to other humans. Of the 125 mentions of forgiveness in the Old Testament, almost all of them are in reference to vertical forgiveness, God's forgiveness towards us. And if you look at the different stories around reconciliation, there's Jacob and Esau, Moses and Pharaoh, Saul and Samuel, Abigail and David, and then Joseph and his brothers. If you look carefully, what you'll notice is either forgiveness is never mentioned in the stories, or when forgiveness is actually asked for, it's never given by the other person. 
we read in the, our Old Testament reading in Genesis 50, where Joseph's brothers are restored uh, to Joseph, and they ask specifically, and they use the word, forgive. But it's interesting, Joseph never offers forgiveness. In fact, he says, am I in the place of God? You see, in the, in the way of the Old Testament thinking, forgiveness is purely and only in, in the prerogative of God. It's not for man to give. Right. To err is human. To forgive is to, is to be divine. Even so, and what came as a, a shock, especially to the Pharisees, was Jesus' teaching and then his actions around forgiveness. And I'm suggesting to you that this moment on the cross marks a monumental shift from unforgiveness to forgiveness. It's a, a turning of the tide, if you will. It's a movement from winter to spring. It's a movement from unforgiveness to the, the eclipse to its dawning of the age of forgiveness. As God, when Jesus prayed this prayer, he unleashed the wrath of God upon him for the forgiveness of sins. That's what we talked about last Sunday. But as the God-man, as man, as he prays this prayer, he's actually, for the first time as a human, offering forgiveness to other humans. And I believe that this actually provides us as a paradigm for how we are to forgive one another. Uh, of his words, it's paradigmatic of forgiveness empowered by the Holy Spirit in which we can learn and we can grow by meditating on his words. And I'd like to suggest to, to you that there are at least, there are four lessons that guide horizontal or human forgiveness between one another. Well, the first lesson is that our forgiveness is to be given without condition. It's to be given without condition. We need to immediately acknowledge that there's something unique about Jesus' prayer on the cross. And the way he prays is not specifically the way we can pray. And you can see several differences. One of the ways is that Christ commands the Father to, uh, to forgive. And we don't have that authority. We can never pray that way. We can't command him. Another difference is that Christ's forgiveness immediately becomes effective. Uh, as he's acting there on the cross, the forgiveness of sins is done. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from us. But when we forgive one another, our prayer or our offering of forgiveness doesn't have that power to actually remove sins. Uh, within human forgiveness, well, let's say I forgive you. But in that act against me, you don't repent and apologize sincerely to God. Even though I forgave you, you're still in your sin before God, or vice versa. If I refuse to forgive you, and you actually repent to God, my unforgiveness doesn't bind you. You are forgiven. I'm just simply not acknowledging what God has done. So there is these differences. But there's another key difference. It's that God's forgiveness requires repentance. God's forgiveness requires repentance, but human forgiveness is to be offered without condition. The forgiveness of, of sins is contingent on faith in Christ and repentance of one's sin. In Luke 24, 47, the gospel proclamation is repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance and forgiveness are tied. They're contingent on one another. John says, 
If we, if we confess our sins, then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So there's a connection between the forgiveness of sins and us having faith in Christ and consequently repenting of our sin. But when it comes to Jesus' teaching about forgiveness, our forgiveness is without condition. If you look at the passages, Matthew 6, 14 through 15, Mark eleven twenty five, Luke 6, 37, we're told, we're commanded, in fact, by Jesus to forgive, and there's never any qualification added. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, period. There, there doesn't seem to be any condition. In Luke eleven four, it says, Jesus says, forgive us our sins for we, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Again, it's everyone. And the indebted to us is in the present tense in that particular verse, which means it suggests that they haven't actually apologized uh, to us, and yet we're supposed to forgive them. Some argue that, uh, that forgiveness must be our forgiveness must be conditional only if the person repents or apologizes. And they tend to turn to Luke 17, 3 through 4, which Jesus says, if he sins, rebuke. If he repents, forgive. Jesus is looking at a very specific case. If the person repents seven times in one day, you are to forgive them. But what if the person doesn't repent? What are we to do? And I would suggest to you, Jesus is not thinking about or responding to that particular question. He doesn't say in that text, and you have to read it in, he doesn't say only forgive if he repents. In fact, you can't find, within interpersonal forgiveness, the commands to forgive, never are we given such a condition. And I think there's a simple reason for it. The reason is that God's forgiveness is conditional on repentance because he knows the heart. He knows our thoughts and intents. The problem is that in our finitude and in our own sinfulness, we don't know one another's thoughts. We can't tell whether one's repentance is true or not, and we can't, God doesn't burden us with doing that. He simply invites us to offer forgiveness without condition and let God be God. I think many people, when they're concerned about this question of whether we forgive only on the condition of an apology, they're worried about what's sometimes called forgive and forget language. Forgive and forget. Just forgive and, and let it go. And yet, when we do that, it doesn't hold the offender to account, and you just set yourself up for more pain and for more hurt. But I think it's important to understand that in the New Testament, there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. They're related processes, but they're separate. Forgiveness is about a spiritual attitude of goodwill replacing ill will. Whereas reconciliation is the repairing of a relationship in order for that relationship to move forward. And so one can forgive truly and deeply from the heart, uh, but never be reconciled. So the first lesson is that God's forgiveness is based on repentance, but our forgiveness is without condition. We just let God be God and we trust that he uh, will, will settle things. We just offer his mercy. There's a second lesson, and it's that our forgiveness, our forgiveness must be exercised through prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Notice that in Jesus' prayer, as the victim on the cross, 
praying for the perpetrators in front of him, and as I suggested last week for all of us, notice that he's not saying, I forgive you. He's praying. He's talking to the Father, and I think there's an important lesson about the, the practice of forgiveness towards one another. It's that it's not primarily about offering forgiveness to the person who has offended you. It's actually going to God in prayer and offering that forgiveness. And I think that's the paradigm that we see in the New Testament that Stephen follows in Acts chapter 7 as he's being stoned. He, he says, falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud, loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Again, he's, he's not talking to them who is stoning him. He's talking to the Father, petitioning, uh, petitioning like a priest, petitioning them, uh, the Father, to forgive despite their actions. Forgiving is literally, it's this idea of lifting up, a lifting up of a burden, or releasing uh, from a debt. When we forgive, there are two aspects that are really going on. There's a withholding, and there is a, a giving. The withholding, when we forgive, the withholding is a release from the seeking of revenge. The giving is the offering of the offender to God at the foot of the cross. You see, when we're wronged, of course, when you, whenever you're wronged, there is, we have a God-given desire to want justice. Uh, without justice, we immediately turn to the thoughts of, in one way or the other, uh, getting revenge. Uh, for, if forgiveness is this economic idea of a, uh, uh, an economic idea of paying the debt, revenge also fits within the economic system. It's a payback. We become like the Jets and the Sharks in West Side Story when they call for weapons. One side says rocks. The other side says belts. Pipes, cans, bricks, bats, clubs, chains, bottles, knives, guns. And there's the making of family feuds and church conflicts, daggers at work, passive-aggressive behavior. You know it all. You've experienced it, and you probably have done some of it. And where does it all go? As Martin Luther King once said, an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth until we're all blind and toothless. But forgiveness is not an abandonment of justice. Forgiveness is not intended by God to empower abusers. Forgiveness and justice are to work together in a harmony. Forgiveness releases the offender, but justice calls the offender to account. When you're offended, you release them with forgiveness. But the expectation, and the right expectation, is that the rightful authority, judging impartially, holds the perpetrator to account. We forgive the abuser, but it is the rightful authority to hold him or her to account. But most of the time, there's no authority to carry out justice. It just ends up being two people or two parties hurting one another. I was driving a jet ski in New Hampshire uh, several years ago, first time driving it, and we were pulling an inner tube with the kids were, were on. And when the jet ski is idle, the engine's still running, you have to be really careful and not allow the, the rope to get sucked into the back. Well, that's exactly what happened. The fun ended, and the engine seized because of this rope. 
Now, thankfully, uh, a couple of friends, they spent several hours taking the whole jet ski apart in order to untangle it. But we and, and our relationships, we're not engines that can be taken apart and fixed within a few hours. Whether it's a marriage or church relationships, adult siblings, a roommate, things become utterly knotted, utterly knotted in a complexity that our fingers don't have the strength to undo. Well, when we are in this place and we have at least enough common sense not to pursue revenge, we turn really to the next best thing, which really drives revenge, and it's called rumination. Rumination. We become like the cow, regurgitating, chewing, re-swallowing, over and over and over again. Rumination is this, this thing that we do in which we replay the offense in our minds over and over, and we continually re-experience the pain of that offense. And rumination also usually includes you talking, muttering, so to speak, to the offender, saying just the right words, or perhaps carrying out just the right action to shame that person, to put them in their place, and to get a little sweet so-called justice. But rumination really just leads to your own pain. The victim becomes trapped by the offense, and you get swallowed up in your own toxicity and the fumes of it all. Louis Zamperini, he was freed from the POW camp, but the POW camp remained in him and was destroying him. But Jesus shows that forgiveness, the sweet, amazing gift of forgiveness, it has the power to silence gang wars, to, to loosen the rope around the engine, to cease the chewing of the cud. It releases the offender, but just as importantly, the amazing gift that God has given through forgiveness is that it releases the victim so that they're no longer captured by what has happened to them. When someone, stick, uh, when someone sins against you, it sticks. And it doesn't matter how hard you try to get rid of it, it won't go away. That's just the way sin and offense works. And there's one way. It's forgiveness. And when you forgive from the heart, it releases it, and you're free. And Jesus reveals, he reveals the primary way to exercise forgiveness. It's not just saying, okay, I forgive you, or just saying out loud, or in your mind, or in your heart, I forgive. When you really have been offended, and the wound is deep, you've got to do more. You've got to pray forgiveness to the Father through prayer. Now, I want to show you a, a way that I've learned on how to do this. I want you to hold out your hands, put them together and hold them out. And in your hands, I want you to imagine the offender and the offense. There they are, you're holding them. Now to do this, you probably should close your eyes. Go with me here, trust me. Now, as you're holding the offender in your hands, I want you to imagine there, as we read in the scripture, Golgotha, the hill. And there, on, you see up at the top of the hill, there are three crosses, and there is Jesus on the cross. And I want you to start, you're walking up that hill, carrying this offender and their offense. And as you come to the base of the cross, I want you to lift up. I don't see any hands going up. There we go. Lift up, and now, without dropping, release the person before the cross. 
And then you say, Father, forgive them. Or you add their name, for they know not what they do. Sometimes that's not enough. And so in this prayer, you continue. Keep your eyes closed for one more moment. And you're at the base of the cross, and there you have laid the offender down. And now I want you in your mind's eye in this prayer to look up. And as you look up, there is the Son of God. And as you see the Son of God in all of his misery bearing our sin, I want you to reach out with your hand and, and touch his feet as you're on your knees. You touch his feet and you can feel his flesh. You see all the grime on his, uh, all over his legs and his feet. And there's the blood. It's warm still. And as you feel his feet, you feel, you feel the, the iron nail going through his feet. You feel the difference between it and the flesh. And I want you to pull your hands away from his feet. And there, I want you to apply it. A little bit of the blood on your offender. You put it there. And then I want you to take it and put it on yourself. And say, though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Thank you. That's an example of how to pray into forgiveness. And when you start doing this, you will find that that's the key. It's part of the, the key of being released from all of the emotional turmoil that the offense has caused. And the rumination, the revenge will start to drop off from you. And you'll actually, no matter what the offender has done, you will begin to experience some kind of compassion towards the person that has done this, wanting them, rather than to face justice, you want them to experience the justice of God in Christ so that they, are, too, are forgiven. Well, there's a third lesson. It's that forgiveness grows. Forgiveness grows through a combination of understanding and compassion. Forgiveness grows in you through understanding and compassion. Jesus said, they know not what they do. Jesus knew exactly who we were, what we thought, what we had done, and what did he do? He forgave. What? How could he do that? And I can only imagine that in his sorrow, his heart was broken because he knew what we really were. He knew that we were just shriveled ghosts of what we were made to be, broken, ignorant, he understood that we're devoid and, and we're totally lost and we're ignorant souls. And then unless he does this in forgiveness for us, we are lost forever. And so in his understanding of understanding really what we had done, really what we had thought, in his compassion, he forgave. But it's interesting we don't have that understanding that Jesus had. Uh, we tend to get blinded, blinded by so many different things. We, we lack understanding of what happened in the offense. We lack the compassion towards the person who has offended us. And the question is, how do we get it? How do we get that understanding and grow that compassion so that we can be like Christ 
and forgive those uh, who have done this to us. Well, what are the reasons? What are the reasons why understanding is so hard? Well, it, it has to do with recall and memory. Human memory, it's tricky and it's often self-serving. Victims focus on the transgression and the pain inflicted. That's all they can see. And their minds just keep on going back to that moment and the, the pain that's been inflicted. Whereas the offender, depending on what happens, might remember positive motivations for their action. Or they think to themselves and remember, I could have done X or Y, which would have increased the pain, but I didn't, I, with, I withheld. Even neutral observers aren't really neutral because they interpret a conflict of two parties uh, with their own prejudices and their own fallible experiences. Not only that around memory, but another part of human memory that research has demonstrated is that we tend to put bad memories, they outweigh good memories. Uh, in fact, research shows that for every single bad event that a person might do to you, it will take five or six good events from that person in order to equal the balance. And the greater the trauma, the more things that will have to happen. So I guess if I were to take a chocolate from you and eat it, I would have to return five or six bonbons before we were back to the level playing field. That's how memory tends to work because we fixate on the bad and we don't see all the good, especially in a lot of, a, a lot of relationships that you might be in. We don't see the good that might be done. Well, not only that, uh, but another reason why we tend to misinterpret uh, is that we impute motivations to the person and assume a lot of things. Uh, the victim says, he lied because he lacks integrity, period. That's it. I've explained everything. I know what he did. The offender says, I slightly withheld information in order to minimize the harm and avoid a big kerfuffle. We also tend to distort reality by making the sin bigger than it is. You know, the offender stepped on your toes and then you're going around telling everyone that he cut off your leg. Or, or the reverse, is we enter into some kind of codependent relationship in which the victim should be offering forgiveness, but they end up being the ones who are saying they're sorry. There's all kinds of these distortions. Well, what do we do? And how do we undo them? Well, it, one of the ways that, uh, that Christians have discovered is that you have to remember clearly. You need to recall as objectively as possible what happened. And one, one kind of exercise that uh, many have found helpful when they're struggling to forgive is a writing exercise in which they're trying to objectively write down everything that happened. To reconstruct it as objectively as possible and to separate all of the emotion with, uh, with the facts. Because we have facts and then we imbue all of this interpretation and negative emotion into the facts and we distort reality. And so you begin to write it down. And if you've ever been in the place where you're telling a story and you're explaining how bad the person is and what they did to you, you tend to hear yourself and it's like, well, it doesn't sound as bad even as I'm trying to tell it. They're not, I'm not quite, my words aren't capturing the thing that I feel. And there's a reason for it. It's because our own memories are distorting 
what the reality is. And so we have to try to remember and recall as clearly as possible, and we need to turn to witnesses, uh, more neutral or objective witnesses, to try to understand, well, what did you see? What did you understand? And we need to go to witnesses who might be on the other person's side so that we can honestly listen to what they have to say. And you do this kind of writing exercise, it's definitely not recommended to start with a deep trauma. You start with a, an act that's a little, something a little more distant in your life, but you're still struggling somewhat with forgiveness. And you do this sort of writing exercise and you begin, uh, you begin to, it helps you to understand more clearly. We also have to get over the, 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 the interpretations in which we imbue facts with our own emotion. And one of the ways uh, that, uh, that has been found to be actually quite helpful, and I've done this myself and have found it helpful, is a, a role play with two chairs. You sit in the chair and you start talking to your offender and you, you might even want to uh, record it because it helps you to, to hear what, what you have to say. You sit in the chair and you tell the, the, your offender all that's wrong and then you go and sit in the other chair and you tell that, uh, you try your best as the offender to talk back and what do they have to say. And almost inevitably, if you do that exercise, you will discover that you have no clue what the person was thinking, what led up to this, what their history is, what were their intended motivations, did they with, uh, were they trying to hold back harm to you? You don't know. And you have to get into the, the other person's shoes in order to, uh, to learn. Jesus knew exactly what we did he knew exactly what our intentions were, and he said, forgive them. We don't know most of the time. We don't know and can't imagine, and yet we struggle to forgive forgiveness. And the key, part of the key is learning to understand and grow compassion towards the person that has hurt you. Well, there's a final lesson, and just very briefly, a fourth lesson is that our forgiveness can produce a harvest. Our forgiveness can produce a mighty harvest. Why should you forgive? Well, if there's for no other reason, it's just simply obedience to Christ who has commanded us to forgive. But know this, that if you do forgive, if you really forgive from the heart, there's a promise in which there will be healing, internal healing within yourself. But there's also a promise that this healing will go well beyond you. Just before I was born, my nonno, my Italian grandfather, he ate a peach one Sunday afternoon, and he planted that peach in our yard. And as a teenager, many years later, that tree, that peach tree, became a large, beautiful peach tree that every year pr produced a harvest of peaches. They're wonderful, sweet peaches, and they're amazing. Forgiveness is like that peach seed. One little seed one little act of forgiveness has the power and the potential to produce this kind of harvest. Everett Worthington, as he was struggling to, uh, to forgive, wrestling all night between wanting revenge and then wondering as a Christian, how can I forgive? How can I forgive this senseless murder of my beloved mother? He finally that night, in the middle of the night, in turmoil, called out to Christ to help him forgive. And he was able to. 
And he did it, and thank God that he did. Because in the wake of his act of forgiveness, many, many things have happened. He became really the, the leading researcher within, within the world in, in psychology on the topic of forgiveness. Uh, since that time, he's written 12 books, all informed by Christian principles and research. He's trained more than 50 doctoral students who have gone on to, uh, to uh, productive academic careers as psychologists. Uh, he, uh, he has produced more than 500 scientific publications. In fact, when he started the research on forgiveness, because he was so motivated to learn about it and, and to figure out how to help others uh, to forgive, especially around trauma, he did it in secret. He did it in secret because he worked at a secular university and no one thought about forgiveness within the field of psychology. But he did this work and eventually the entire field of psychology has now been in, includes the topics of forgiveness, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. He ended up going on to help South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission after apartheid. Uh, he, uh, he created the REACH program, which is something our church did a, a, about a year, year and a half ago, in which it helps people uh, to learn how to practice forgiveness. And that program um, has been uh, translated into Spanish, Mandarin, Russian, Ukrainian, Indonesian, Portuguese, French, Arabic, Urdu, Cantonese, Korean, and English. I asked Dr. Worthington, how many people have done the REACH program? And his response to me, he doesn't know because it's, it's actually free and, and online. But it's, it's almost certainly uh, in the tens of thousands who have actively gone through the REACH pr program. And then indirectly, so many more have actually been affected because he decided to obey Christ and to forgive. His one act of forgiveness has led to an incredible harvest. But that's small. It's small compared to what Jesus has done. His one act of forgiveness on the cross has led to billions and billions in experiencing the forgiveness of sins and through the gift of his spirit to actually then move forward and to forgive one another. What an amazing act by Christ to begin this whole new age of forgiveness. And he invites us to follow in his footsteps, imitating him. We are to forgive without condition. Forgive through with prayer by bringing the offender to the foot of the cross. We need to cultivate practices of deeper understanding and compassion. And when you do this, you will, you will grow in your ability to forgive. And you should, if you're willing to take the courageous risk of forgiving you should expect a mighty harvest. When my, my nano, my grandfather, he planted the peach seed, uh, apparently first he cracked it, and then he dropped it into a glass of red wine. Now, he was a farmer, and maybe this was like old Italian farming uh, folklore, or maybe it just comes from the belief that many Italians hold that red wine heals many things. But it worked, and the peaches were really, I can testify, were very sweet. Well, like that red wine, that gift of forgiveness, when you soak yourself, the offender, the offense, in the blood of Christ, the harvest will begin with you.
and it will lead to a bounty well beyond you. May God give us all grace to forgive those that we must forgive. Oh Lord, do this work of grace in each one of us. Help us, help us to lean deeply into your truth, to follow your way, and to experience your gift that you have given to free us from the stickiness of sin. Lord, release us from the toxicity of the fumes of revenge and rumination. And Lord, fill us with compassion and understanding. Oh Lord, Father, we pray that you would forgive us, for we don't know what we do, and that you would help us to forgive others for your glory and for our joy. Amen.